The preaching of Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, provokes the people and they turn on him, making him the first Christian martyr. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he died. The word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of Peter. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus told his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, for I told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, 
Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, all. My paternal grandfather was a preacher in the Church of the Brethren denomination. It's kind of an obscure little denomination, predominantly located in Appalachia, and it comes from the old German Dunkard faith. It's an offshoot. Now, the Church of the Brethren in southwestern Virginia, it chooses its leaders from the congregation. So whoever shows some specific gift in the congregation to preaching or leadership is chosen by that congregation to become their leader. Now, there doesn't seem to be, at least in my mind, any real training for that that goes on. You show a gift, they make you the leader. There is sort of a traveling coordinator that goes around to each of these congregations and does give a little bit of training to them. But pretty much all they get is a preacher's handbook. I do have my grandfather's handbook, but uh, it, it is. It's a little small pamphlet. Thing. Now, this is not like in our church where we have discernment committees and seminary, and especially here in this diocese, the Episcopal School for Ministry. But people in the Church of the Brethren are called to minister to a community by the need of that community for a church. You'll see... In some communities where they decide they want a church, that group of people will gather together and then call the other brethren congregations around who they will then gather all their people and then go to that community, sometimes a couple states away. And they will stay there and literally build a church, usually on donated land. So they all meet together, there's big tent revivals, and they actually build a church. I can remember as a child, you know, probably about five, six years old, traveling to Virginia to my family, to my father's birthplace, and visiting some of the churches that my family, and specifically my grandfather, helped to build. The brethren preachers, they were never attached to a single congregation. You had your leader of the congregation, but the preachers would travel around. And my grandfather's circuit was Pound Creek, and, you know, these exotic places called Pound Creek, Pigeon Ford, 
Tazewell County, Clintwood, all these exotic places. The one thing that I remember when accompanying him on these was that church lasted all day long. The women of the congregation would come in and they would sit on one side of the church and the men would all sit on the other side. So there was this big separation. Now, the women would sit and they listened to the lessons for the day and then they got up and left. Now, the women all went to the kitchen and they prepared lunch and supper for the congregation. And remember, they stayed all day long. And then the preaching would start. Yeah, I think for a 14-minute sermon is a little long. Try a six-hour sermon. It's nothing short of a tag-team preaching system. When one preacher gets tired, another preacher, he'll just sit down, and then another preacher will pop up. And they just keep going back and forth like that. Now, their preaching style is much, much different than ours. Now, they have what I call Jesus Weegis sermons. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just say, but what they do often is that, I'll say it up, and they always carry their Bible, they say, Jesus, we just want to thank you for sending the children of Israel out of Egypt, and we just want to thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. And it's back and forth all day long. Jesus, we just sermons. So you get that idea. But that, their congregation said is that their preaching is spirit-filled. So I think it's pretty appropriate that today we're talking about the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen is defined as the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. And it's also called proto-martyr, if you ever hear that out there. Stephen was a man, and he was chosen to be one of the first seven deacons. And he was chosen because he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. The Church of the Brethren would have loved him. Stephen is listed as the first of the seven chosen. Now, the seven deacons were first chosen to minister to the Hellenistic Jews. Now, the Hellenists were a group of Jews who were not from that area. They weren't from Israel or Palestine area at that time. They were from outside. They were living in exile and returning back. So they had a different language, had different customs. But, and what they were saying was... In their congregation, in that community, their widows were being ignored. So the seven were chosen to minister food to those Hellenistic widows. The seven deacons were basically chosen to wait on tables. Kind of what those Church of the Brethren women were doing later on during that, that, those days in the church. Stephen was said to be full of grace and power. And it said he also did great wonders and signs among the people. That is probably no doubt why he attracted so much attention from the powerful leaders of the synagogue. See, one day Stephen was in the synagogue of the freedmen when the Hellenistic Jews began to challenge him. They challenged him in debate about the life and works and divinities of Jesus as the Messiah. But the Hellenistic Jews, they just couldn't win their argument. They arrest Stephen under false charges, and they take him in front of the Sanhedrin. And in his defense, Stephen goes into a 53-verse speech 
to the Sanhedrin Council, and he recites to them all of God's works from Abraham to their own time. He goes to the stories of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph in Egypt, Moses, the Red Sea, the wandering in the wilderness, all the way up to Solomon's temple. This is very, very far from the Jesus Weegis sermon. But what seals Stephen's faith is the summation of his speech. He states quite, quite clearly that all of our ancestors, he says, all of our ancestors had killed the prophets and that they themselves, the Sanhedrin, had killed the Messiah. You are the ones, he says, that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. He turns their lives upside down. No longer are they keeping the laws of Moses appropriate. No longer is all the works that they do. They are not going to be saved. He turns their lives upside down. And they just couldn't handle it. A mob rises up. They rush Stephen and publicly take him outside and stone him to death. All in the presence of Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, who sat by and approved. So I sat back this week and I pondered Stephen and his preaching. And quite honestly, I see Stephen as very prophetic. Because even in his persecution, he is still trying to win converts to the church. He quite adeptly identifies and calls the community to the carpet in their condoning of the murder of Jesus and the prophets. Stephen is, in every sense of the word, a deacon. Now, a deacon's ministry is to stand at the door to the church and to proclaim the needs of the world to the church. But we deacons are not to just stay there and report, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. But we also have to go out and we have to work. Because remember, Stephen did minister to the Hellenistic Jewish widows. Today, a lot of priests in charge of congregations will, will talk to me and they'll say, we really want a deacon here. And my first question is always, are you really sure you're going to get, you sure you really know what you're getting yourself into with a deacon? Because you see, a deacon is supposed to be an irritant and a nag to the congregation. They're going to be the ones who are constantly barraging the vestry to say, do more, do this. We're a far, far cry from those women in the Church of the Brethren where we just wait tables. The deacon is a perpetual thorn in the side, an advocate for the poor, the sick, the lonely, and the widow. The deacon calls the whole community to remember and care for those. And it can get very annoying. So are you ready for that? Deacons are prophetic preachers, so our sermons will often be more about those needs of the community. It's tough, and it's uncomfortable stuff to hear. But we're in very good company. We who preach truth to power are in very good company with Martin Luther King, Sojourner Truth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a blogger who I read on a semi-regular basis, she quotes that her homiletics professor said to her class that a good sermon should comfort the afflicted 
and afflict the comfortable. I think we often in this church are very good at comforting those who are hurt, but we don't want to offend too much the comfortable or even our major donors. Peter Gomes, who was a late Harvard professor and a Baptist minister, suggests that a good sermon should have enough in it to offend everyone. And I'd add, it should take six hours. We as a church are often too comfortable with the status quo. We are afraid to set off into that new ministry, to seriously take a look at what God is calling us to do. Now here at Advent, you have very brave souls, those who have traveled off to Louis, to build a relationship that calls us into a bigger world. Deb Goldfeder and Dan Hanchi have both set aside the comfortable status quo to travel and see and learn and to bring back to us their needs. We need to set aside our comfort to go past our walls to be Stevens. Now some people see the stoning of Stephen as a tragedy, and it is, but it can also be viewed as a way to get the community off its collective duff to go and preach and convert the world. You see, the church in Jerusalem no longer could be comfortable in their own community. After the stoning of Stephen, Saul's persecution of the church occurred, so that then the church had to go to Samaria and Asia and the ends of the world to preach the grace and truth of Jesus. Following Jesus shouldn't be comfortable. It should be, and it is, hard. But it is what we as Christians are called to do. And you notice that Jesus' words to his disciples in the gospel today are to comfort them, for he knows he's about to leave them. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. And this isn't just a pep talk for them. Jesus, all as always, is teaching them. And he tells them all about himself, all what he is. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now the first Christians understood that. They understood this call. In fact, they called themselves the people of the way. But this is more than just proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ as a way of gaining salvation, like some faith communities say, that if you confess Christ as Savior, boom, you're saved. What you need to do is you need to look at the context of the passage that we just read in the gospel and look to see what happened before this time. Jesus had given them the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, and he just washed their feet. It's not about saying the name of Jesus that wins salvation, but it's about doing what Jesus has done. Now, in the Association of Episcopal Deacons, the organization that, that I'm a member of, and I try and get all deacons in the diocese and all rectors who have deacons involved in that, we prepared a statement called Engaging the Diaconia of All Believers. The diaconia is, is servant ministry. And we put together a great summation of what servant ministry is. It says, Christ's suffering on the cross 
compels us to identify, especially with those of our sisters and brothers who suffer today, moving beyond politeness and pretense, breaking the silence and risking speaking truth to power, even when this threatens the established order and results in hardship or persecution. This is the heart of a prophetic diaconal calling. Our baptismal covenant compels us to view ministry and the world through a deacon lens and to act as the servant Christ in the world. This was the heart of Stephen's sermon, and this is the heart of Jesus' teaching in the gospel today. Amen.